This world will try to beat you down and leave you for dead. But God has other plans for your life. Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 says this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. This morning, we're kicking off a new series called How Big Is Your God? And it's our goal to track, if you will, the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt to their new home in the promised land. We all are on a spiritual journey. Every single person in this room is on a spiritual journey. For me, it started at 17 years old. Now, I know God was at work in my life before that. I can give you story after story of how God moved in my life before that. But at 17 years old, he decided to call me from my old life and show me my true identity and purpose in this world. He decided that it was time for me to move on from my old life and to understand who it was that he created me to be. And I love him for that. And I, I am so I'm so thankful for that. And that started a, a new chapter, if you will, in my spiritual journey. Like all people, God's people were on a spiritual journey as well. And they found themselves slaves in Egypt. But before we follow their journey from bondage in Egypt to their new home in the promised land, we need to ask ourselves, how did they get there in the first place? And as I started writing this sermon, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll write one sermon that kind of gets us to the point where they're in, in Egypt and they're leaving Egypt. And as I started writing, it went from one sermon to two sermons to three sermons. OK, so we're in this series. And this series is probably going to go to the end of the year. But I couldn't cut back on this first part, laying the foundation. How do they get in Egypt in the first place? Because this is really laying out the sovereignty of God and God's hand at work. See, the reality is our journey usually starts or I think always starts before we even think about it, before we realize it. I found that in every situation in my life, every situation I find myself in my life, God has been there long before I even realized it. In every situation where I started something new, I go to a different country and, and I'd realize once I got there, I started talking to people and you, you see the connectedness of how God worked before you even showed up there. We call that God's providence, the hand of God, the providential hand of God. That means that he's going to work things out to his glory. He's going to work out things to his own end, no matter what the intent of the individual person, good or bad. God is going to bring about his will in every situation. He will bring about his ultimate end. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21, it says this, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Let me read that again to you. 
in these times where everything is very confusing and we're not sure what to do in certain situations and people are saying, here's what, here's what's going to happen here and here's, here's what's, be, this is going to become this or here's what, God, here's what this person may do there. Listen to Proverbs chapter 19 verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man or a woman, doesn't matter, but in, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. What God wants to happen will ultimately happen. God coordinates, if you will, all of our independent thoughts and activities and ideas. He coordinates all of those things. He puts them together and he makes them connect with each other for his ultimate purpose. And we need to understand that as we go through this series, that is really the foundation of this entire series. We need to see that in our lives, worked out in our lives. If you're going to become the person that God created you to be, you need to understand the ebbs and flows of life, the seasons of life. And realize that even in the most difficult times, God is there. No matter what someone has inflicted upon you, God can overcome it. Listen to me, I know we're caught up in an election year, but Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump will not determine the ultimate course of human history that has already been determined. Is that important? Certainly it's important. Should we vote? Certainly we should vote. It's really important to have the freedom to be able to vote. But at the end of the day, it is our God that is in control. We have the freedom to choose, but that freedom cannot thwart the will of God. Simple as that. Man's choices ultimately will not thwart the will of God. And that truth is revealed throughout Scripture. We see it throughout Scripture and nowhere more dynamically than in the life of Joseph. I love Joseph. I love Joseph. His story is so, so dynamic. But before we go any further and get into that story, I want you to bow your heads with me. Okay, bow your heads with me. And I want you to really concentrate because we are all on a spiritual journey. And we're on a spiritual journey together. I want to focus on this during this series. And it's my desire that each one of us would take specific steps toward a goal or goals for our life. It's nice sometimes just to stop and say, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to take stock of where I am right now. And that's what I want you to do. I want, you, I want you to consider where you are right now in your spiritual journey. Where are you? Ask yourself, where do I need to grow? What area, in what areas in my life do I need to grow? Am I too anxious? Am I too fearful? Do I worry all the time? Am I, am I angry? Is, is my anger really dominating my life? What areas of my personality need to change? Are there things about my personality that need to change, that need to be transformed? What habits or hang-ups do I need to overcome? What are some temptations that have seized me and are holding me right now? What disciplines do I need to acquire? What specific spiritual disciplines do I need to acquire in my life so that I can fulfill what God has for me? Here's what I would like you to do. I'd like you to write those down. And then I want you to take specific steps to reach those goals, to reach those goals. Tell someone. Tell someone what they're, tell just one person what they are. And you want to do that for vulnerability and for accountability. So that person can lovingly ask you, how are you doing in that area? 
just between the two of you. I want you to think about what are the goals that you have? You're starting this morning and we're going to go through the basically the end of the year. Where do I want to be at the end of the year? Not that it's the end of the journey. You can't keep working on those things. But where would you like to be at the end of the year? What do you need to change? What do you need to work on? I want you to write that down. I want you to tell someone for accountability and vulnerability. And if you can't do it this morning, I want you to think about it this week. And then write it down. Write it down specifically. Maybe keep it in your wallet. Keep it somewhere where you can see it. So you're constantly thinking it through and how God can help you move from this place to this place. Okay, back to our text. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be jumping around a little bit, all right? I'm going to be throwing out some names and some places, and, but I, I want you to just stay focused. We'll have a chart up behind me that will help us a little bit. I want you to stay focused, but here's what I want you to do most of all. I want you to keep thinking, even if you get a little confused about who begat who, what was there and what was going on, uh, that's okay, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to see the hand of God in all this, and here's why. Because as we're going through this, there's a reason we're going through this for three weeks, because I want you to see the hand of God in all of this so that you can recognize God's hand is not just on Joseph's life, not just on Jacob's life or anybody else's life, that God's hand is on your life. Whatever season you're in right now, whatever you're going through, Jen set it up perfectly with those songs that we sang this morning. Perfectly. Whatever you're going through, you need to see the hand of God in all of it. So our story begins in the book of Genesis. It all starts out with kind of a... Uh, dysfunctional family environment. Okay, Jacob, shocking of all shocks, right? He usually does. Jacob is living in the land of Canaan. As the story unfolds here, Joseph is with his brothers who are tending their flock. So they're together. The problem that starts this family feud, if you will, between, uh, between Joseph and his brothers starts in Genesis chapter 37 in verse 3. And that's where we're going to kind of begin our story. Jacob is given the name Israel. All right. We find that in Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. Jacob is given the name Israel. That is then also given to the name of the nation. All right. So in, in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3, we read this. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. Now, here's the thing. Parents, not a good idea, okay, to have favorites, all right? <laughs> and, and, and not only is it not a good idea to have favorites, that, that's probably not good. You know, keep it to yourself. You have favorites, you keep it to yourself, all right? At least keep it to yourself. But what you don't want to do, okay, is to give them something that they can wear all the time that symbolizes your favoritism, all right? He's my favorite. Here's your cloak. Let everybody else know it, all right? And you walk around, and poor, poor 17-year-old Joseph is walking around this. See, there's another problem. It's also a problem if your 10 other brothers were born to other women, okay? So these are your half-brothers. So he has 10 brothers, but they're born to other, other women. The 10 brothers came before him. He actually has 11, because Benjamin. But these 10 women, uh, these, these 10 brothers came from another, from other women. Jacob, all right, now here we go. Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, all right? So Rachel had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Rachel dies giving birth to Benjamin. So she dies. She has two sons, Joseph and Benjamin, all right? So Joseph was his father's favorite, 
if you remember, Rachel was also Jacob's favorite wife. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, um, this, this kind of sounds messed up, right? It's kind of like, is this, the, this is the Bible. It's where, you know, you're reading out of the Bible. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's telling us the truth. Seems a little messed up. Well, it gets a, gets a little bit worse. Um, if, <laughs> so if you recall, Jacob tricks his father, Isaac, to cheat his brother, Esau, out of the family birthright, right? I'm not going to get into the whole story, but so Jacob cheats Esau out of the birthright by tricking his father, Isaac. Then Jacob gets a taste of his own medicine. <laughs> when Laban tricks Jacob into marrying Leah first. Right. And you say, well, how could the guy not know who he's marrying? It's like it's right there. But I, I actually looked at this. I thought he was probably drunk. And another thing he didn't you know that should, he shouldn't have done. But that you can't prove that. And I, really the best the best reasoning I saw was that they had very heavy veils in those days. So he's standing there in the ceremony and it's like, you know, surprise, Leo. He's like, wait, wait, I'm in love with Rachel. And so Laban says, yeah, I know. But now you're married to Leah. So deal with that first. Okay, and then he said, now, if you want Rachel, then you have to work for me another seven years. I'll let you marry her now, but you have to work for me another seven years. You have to commit to that. So so Jacob marries Rachel as well. All right. So now he's got two wives and and he's working for Laban for another seven years. Great father. That's that produces another great family relationship, doesn't it? When someone would do that to you. Um, Because Jacob, Rachel was really the wife that he wanted because he was really in love with Rachel. Rachel is then in constant conflict battles with her sister, older sister, Leah. Shock of all shocks, right? And they get in a competition. This is extremely important in those days. This is really important. Who can have a baby first? So they're in this competition, and it ends up that Leah wins, which doesn't really help the situation at all. And in order to win the race, they both get their handmaidens to Jacob to better their chances to have a child first. I'm not going to get into all that all works, okay? God's not condoning any of this. I'll get there. All right. But they give their handmaids to Jacob and ends up that Reuben is born first. All right. So kind of Leah wins that one because... And it's in Genesis. You want to look this up and read it for the, you know, it's Genesis 35 and verse 23. So they offered up the women who work for them so Jacob could produce those babies. Now, a little side note, a little side note, as we go through this, God never condones more than one wife, period, in the Bible. Never. Okay, and every time you see it happen in the Bible, the people are walking away from the righteous life that God has designed for them. But that doesn't mean that God is not going to work through them. When they walk away from that righteous life, it causes all kinds of... You go read. Read all the times where you have that second... It causes all kinds of issues and problems. But God is not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. All right? God continues to work through those who disobey. So God continues. God's plan is not going to be thwarted by anyone's sin or anyone else's choices. So God chooses... To continue to work through them. Here's the deal. People, there are people around you who cause you problems and make your spiritual journey so much more difficult. Am I right? 
I mean, just think about it. The people around you, forget Joseph and Jacob and all these people right now. The people, there are people around you have caused you problems and made your spiritual journey so much more difficult. But listen, they cannot change the will and purpose of God in your life unless you let them. God has a purpose and a plan and a will for your life, ultimately worked out in his, in, his, in, his, in his epic story, okay, of this world. And he has a plan for our lives. And people will come in, in and out of our lives, and they will cause us problems, they will cause us trouble, they will inflict all kinds of harm on us, but nothing can stop the purpose of God in your life except for you. They cannot thwart the will of God in your life unless you let them. You've got to ask yourself a question when bad things and difficult things happen to you. Now what? Now what? Is God still in my life? Is God still working in my life? Yes, he is. Does God like what happened to you? Does God condone what happened to you? Is God going along? No, he is not. But he will work around that for your benefit. See, things didn't get any better for Joseph once his mother, Rachel, died. They didn't get any better for him because think about it. Now she's out of the way and his brothers, his brothers who can't stand him, begin to unleash their hostility and their resentment on him. For all those years, that little punk walking around in that cloak and everything, and now, and they unleash their resentment and their hostility toward him. Now, let's just stop for a moment because I think there are people in, I know there are people in this room People here today, this rings true for you. What I just described rings true for you. There are people, your past, listen, your past has put you at a disadvantage. Not arguing that. Your past has put you at a disadvantage. For, 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 For so many of us, our spiritual journey started out in, in a very uncomfortable way, if, you, if I can say that, in a, in a chaotic environment, your beginning, how you start out your spiritual journey, it started out in a very, very chaotic environment, in, in unsettled and sometimes in an abusive situations. You came out of an abusive situation. You came out of an unsettled, to say the least, maybe family life. Your grandparents, your parents, I don't know, whatever. It was very unsettled. It was, maybe it was abusive. But it was chaotic. It was a chaotic environment. And a lot of you come out of that environment. But God is not finished with you yet. God's will for your life is still intact. God's purpose for your life is still intact. They cannot steal from you the purpose that God has for your life. See, I find in Scripture, and this is just my way of looking at it, I find in Scripture that God works around people with evil motives, works around them, still gets it accomplished, works around them. But he works through people who have good intent, like Jacob. Jacob's not an evil man. Jacob did some dopey things, okay? But again, let's remember this. He didn't have this. We're in Genesis. Okay, he didn't have this. So Jacob's kind of doing the best he can. He knows what direction he wants to go and he's trying to figure out how to get there. And so he's, you know, I'll take this from him and I'll maybe if I need kids. So, yeah, it's fine. And and does God condone all those behaviors? No. But he knows, see, God looks beyond the actions to the human heart. And God's going to work around those with evil motives intent. And God is going to work through those who have good intentions. 
even though he doesn't condone it, God can work through them. See, it's, in, it's unlikely from this kind of beginning that, jo- that Joseph would end up in a good place, that his life would work out, that it would be, uh, that he would amount, if you would, that he would really um, amount to anything. Making, making him the favorite, you think, well, he's the favorite. Making him the favorite only made his life more challenging, only made his journey more difficult. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 4, it says this. We get a real clear picture of how his brothers felt about him. Listen to this. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now you add to that the father setting him up as the favorite. Here's your cloak and wear this around. And, you know, he's 17 years old, so I'm sure he didn't. He, he, he lacked maturity. Right. So he's wearing this. He's wearing this, you know, this beautiful coat of many colors, whatever. He's wearing it around. His brothers hate his guts. And, and that on top of his immaturity, I'm not saying it's anything wrong. I'm saying he's probably immature. So he's wearing the coat around all the time. And he also has these dreams. Right. And Joseph is uh, and, <laughs> he's in the habit of having dreams and then sharing them with everyone around him because everyone should know what his dreams are. And so in, in, it says in Genesis chapter 30, uh, 37, verses 6 and 7, he says this, he says those brothers, okay, who hate him like the fire of the sun, okay, all right, the, the heat of the sun, all right. So he says this, listen to my, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and, and when suddenly my, my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. Isn't that awesome? That's really cool. What do you guys think? Right? I'll tell you what we think. Can't say it in church, though. Okay. It may have been better for him to wear that coat on special occasions to keep his dreams to himself. Right? May have been, may, that may have been better. So in Genesis chapter, two, chapter 37 and verse 12, it, Jacob is, says to Joseph, okay, go find your brothers. And Joseph goes and finds his brothers, and they're in, they're in Dothan, and they're tending their flock in Dothan. And in Genesis 37, verses 18 and 19, we read this. But they saw him in, in the distance, and before he could reach them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. But Reuben, the oldest, the firstborn, Reuben, he basically says, hey, guys, um, you know, wonderful idea, wonderful idea. But let's not let's not kill him. Okay. And in verse 22, he says this. Reuben says this. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert. But don't lay a hand on him. Because what Reuben's basically saying is, you know, let's throw him in here. And then Reuben goes back and kind of gets him later on. They listen to Reuben. And then in verses 23 and 24, it says this. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So, okay, there was a pit. Here's how this, this looked, the cistern. It has a, it's like a bottle, all right? And the top is thinner, and it goes down. And as it goes down, it gets wider, okay, at the bottom. And he, he throw him in there. You think, why didn't you just climb out? The, the, the bottle neck, if you will, was very slick, and there was really no way to get out. It's deep. It's, there's no water in it, but it's deep. And as, if you could climb up, which you couldn't, when you get to that point, it's too slick. So escape was pretty much not going to happen. So now imagine how he feels. He's in this pit, okay? Now, you could think maybe he was angry, but he was certainly confused, and he was hurt. He was frightened. 
And Joseph starts to plead with his brothers. We don't find that in chapter 37. We find that in chapter 42, verse, verse 21, where it tells us that later on. And Joseph's pleading with his brothers, hey, don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. And they sit down after that and they have lunch. Throw them in a pit, have lunch. And while they're having lunch, there, here comes a caravan. All right. The caravan comes by and in verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, remember that name? Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Now, I want to, the providence of God, the hand of God in all this. Ishmaelites. You remember Ishmael, right? Now, just... Just stick with me, all right? <laughs> okay, remember, you remember Ishmael, okay? Hagar is Ishmael's mother. Sarah's handmaiden, Sarah, who was married to Abraham. If Abraham, Sarah's his wife, God tells him to have a baby. Sarah's like, well, <laughs> this is not going to happen. It's too long. So she takes Hagar. She gives Hagar to Abraham, and they have Ishmael, all right? Ishmael. Now, here's the cool thing. Two generations later, God uses the Ishmaelites to, to save the nation of Israel, okay, by taking Joseph to Egypt. So, all right, should Sarah have given uh, Hagar to, to, to Abraham and she had, didn't have enough, all this kind of stuff? You say, well, no, uh, but God is still going to, God's will is still going to be done. Two generations later, who is it that gives uh, Joseph a ride, a nice way to put it, a ride to Egypt to get him to, get him to Egypt? It's the Ishmaelites, the descendants of Ishmael. You're not, you see, if you're not getting a little bit of goosebumps or like, well, that's pretty cool. Wake up. Something's wrong. All right. I'm not the only nerd here. You got to be excited about this. All right. This is the hand of God working through all this stuff. Another example. This is just another example. The whole Sarah and Abraham thing and Hagar thing. Another example of people trying to take the will of God on their own and do it on their own. God says, here's what we're going to do. And they figure, hey, you're not that song at the end. Jen was talking about it. God's timing, right? You're waiting. She was waiting, didn't she, I'm done waiting, I'm done waiting, here's how we're going to do this, this is probably the way God wants it done, I know he said this, but you take Hagar, you have a baby with her, boom, it'll all work out, and that's the way it is. And God is still working out his plan, even through our weaknesses, okay, and our lack of faith. So Joseph's brother, Judah, says, hey, let's take our brother and not kill him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, or sell him to the highest bidder. And so they end up going along with Judah and they do that and they, and they sell them to Ishmaelites and they sell them for 20 shekels of silver. Okay? Silver. That is the going rate for a male slave at that time. That's why they sold him for 20 shekels. That's what they could get for him. I want you to notice something throughout this time that we're going to spend together the next three weeks and going forward, especially in the story of Joseph. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the, 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 the incredible similarities between Joseph and Jesus. The incredible similarities between Joseph and Jesus. This story is a foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah. Okay, this is the hand of God in all of this. 
This is the hand of God. Think about it. All these people, all right, all these people are running around trying to figure all this out. They're trying to control everything. You sleep with her. She sleeps with him. And because I want to have the first one and then we'll do this. And God, I think, wants that. And so they're, 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 they're trying to control everything and they're making a total mess of it. And God, God continues to move in the midst of all this mess. God continues to move his purpose forward and simultaneously weaves in the story of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah. Okay, so not only when they're messing everything up and all this stuff is happening all over the place that you can hardly keep up with. Okay, is God moving his purpose in history forward, but simultaneously he's weaving in the story of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Messiah. That is absolutely amazing. Okay, amazing. Someone say amen to that. Okay, let me give you an example of how amazing this is. Okay, so Judah, Judah sells Joseph, his brother, okay, for 20 pieces of silver. Judas sells Jesus for 20, for 30 pieces of silver. Well, Jesus is worth more, you know, inflation, and everything too. So he's, so he's, they both sell, they both sell. Judah sells Joseph 20 pieces of silver. Judas basically betrays Jesus, both betraying their brother for silver. You say, well, that's, that's cool. That's really cool. That's a cool. Here, here's, it's cooler. Okay. Judah and Judas in the Hebrew are the same name. Okay. It's the same exact spelling. It's the same exact word. It's different in the English version because they want, they don't want people getting confused. But if you go back and look at the original Hebrew, Judas sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. Judas sold different Judas sold Jesus betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then you start to think silver. What does silver represent? Silver, silver represents atonement. It symbolizes atonement. It symbolizes redemption. Goosebumps yet, people. This is cool stuff, man. This is cool stuff. Listen, God, God, okay, behind the scenes, their evil plan brings about God's good plan. The providence of God. Behind the scenes of all these people's plans, right? Proverbs 19.21. Behind the scenes of all the mind of men, for all their evil plans, God is working out. God is using it to bring about his good plans. Let me say this to you. Do not be anxious. Do not be worried. Do not fear the upcoming election. Here's what you do with the upcoming. Instead of being anxious about it, okay? Who's going to win? What's going to happen? All this kind of stuff. We're all concerned, all right? Here's what I want you to do. Number one, it says when you're anxious, do not be anxious about anything, but in, through prayer and petition, present your request to God. We need to be praying about the upcoming election. That's number one. Number two, go out and vote. Okay, don't give me this. I don't like him. I don't like her. I don't like them. Go out and vote. Make a look at what what aligns with the word of God. Who aligns with the word of God the most? Okay, make your choice and vote. And then after you've prayed about it and you voted, then here's the good part. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be excited about what our God is going to do, regardless of who gets elected. Oh, they're going to do this and she's going to do that and he's going to do this and all this kind of stuff. And some of you are worried about over here and some of you are worried about over here. But here's the thing. I want you to now leave this building and be the most excited Americans, okay, in the country because all you're thinking about is, well, if she gets elected, I wonder what God's going to do. 
I wonder how God's going to work this. This is going to be wild. This is going to be wild to watch. She's going to try this or he's going to try that. And she, and God is going to work out his will through it all. How big is your God? My God is bigger than Hillary, right? My God is bigger than Donald. Okay. That's what we're talking about here. So be excited at what God is going to do with this country and how God is going to use America to bring about his ultimate purpose for humanity because this is not our home. Okay? Heaven is our home. We are just passing through. So let's use the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given us. Let us vote. Let's be good citizens. Let's do all those cool things. But then let's watch our God do his thing. So Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites and he's on his way to Egypt. He goes from favor, right, from being the favored son to wearing this really cool robe to being sold to the Ishmaelites. He's a kidnapped slave. He's a kidnapped slave. He must have been wondering what every single one of us would wonder. How did this happen to me? Uh, my whole life. How, how, how did I get here shackled? And I'm, I'm, how did I get here? And then he must have been thinking, honestly, he must have been thinking, what about my dreams, right? Wouldn't you be thinking that? I have dreams. I have, there are dreams that I have. I'm 54 years old and I'm thinking when I'm 80, blah, blah, blah. I'm going through all these things, you know. If God allows me to live that long and I have all these dreams that God has put on my heart. I, and he, he must be wondering, what about my dreams? He, he must have been thinking, wait, God has a great plan for my life. God has a great, what happened to my, what happened to God's plan for my life? I'm shackled. I'm being taken to Egypt. This is unbelievable. He must have had that in his heart. Here's the deal. All spiritual journeys come with confusion and pain. You hear me? All, all, every spiritual journey comes with confusion and pain. He's only 17 years old and his world has been turned completely upside down. He loses his comfort, honestly, and he loses his security. At this point, most people are shaking their fist at God, cursing them all the way to Egypt. But that's not, that's not what Joseph does. Let me ask you this for us. Let's bring us, all, us back into this. How, ask yourself, how, what did it take you to get to where you are right now? What did you have to go through? What have you had to experience? How strong have you had to be? What, what, what did it take, okay? How easy, let me say this, how easy was it for you to get to where you are right now? There's not one person in this room, I can guarantee you that, that would get up here on this stage and stand here and give a testimony to how easy and convenient it was without any concerns whatsoever to get to where you are right now, right? Not one person can get up here and talk about ease and, 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 and comfort that got me to the place that I am right now. Our lives, okay, I don't care if you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth or with a wooden spoon in your mouth, life is hard. It's difficult. And our spiritual journeys are going to be difficult. I don't care who we are. Listen, God never condones evil behavior, but God will overrule that behavior in order to bring about his ultimate will for our lives and for this world. 
God never condones evil behavior. Never. He doesn't inflict it upon people. He is not evil. It's not a part of his plan to do something evil so that you'll, whatever the case may be. God never condones evil, but God can overrule it to accomplish his will. Even through our suffering that he has not inflicted upon you. Even through our suffering whether it's self-inflicted or someone else inflicted, or maybe God is trying to teach you something. Maybe God is, maybe a loving father will often discipline his children, okay? But God can work through any of those circumstances, any of them, in order to bring about his will for our lives, in order to bring about his purpose for our lives. Like Joseph, listen, listen to me, listen. Like Joseph, you and I need to be resilient, That is the word. Write that word down, resilient. We need to be resilient. If we are going to fulfill what God has for us in this world, the world is going to try to beat you down and leave you for dead. But we need to be resilient. That's why we play that song. You need a fight song, a take back my life song. You need a fight song. You need to be willing to stand up and be resilient. And when you get knocked down, you get back up. When you get knocked down, you get back up through the power of God. Because if you keep, remember what we're saying here, the providence of God, the will of God, nothing can thwart the will of God. You need to be resilient like Joseph. You need to be resilient like Jacob. You need to be resilient like Daniel. You need to be resi- We need to keep Jesus Christ was resilient. We need, to, we need to remember our birthright and who we are. And we need to be resilient. So we go from a dysfunctional family to slavery. And now that he's in, he's in slavery, now we go to accusation. Let me jump to chapter 39 to pick up our story. Joseph is now taken to Egypt. He's basically sold to Potiphar. Potiphar is an official, an Egyptian official to the Pharaoh. All right? So Joseph is now in Potiphar's house, a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar, okay, is the, is the chief, if you will. He is the main person. He is the captain of the bodyguard. For Pharaoh, he's the captain. This guy is powerful in this culture. Okay, he's the captain of the bodyguard for the most powerful ruler in the ancient world. And that's where Joseph ends up. Why does he end up there? Think about it. Think about it. He ends up there. And Potiphar didn't take Potiphar very long to realize, wait, this guy has skills. Okay, this guy is amazing. This guy is capable. And in Genesis 39, 2 through 6, it says this, For the Lord was with Joseph, and that the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord is with you, so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted him, he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all the things that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was, was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was, was well-built and handsome. 
Joseph was well-built and handsome. We can see God's providential hand on the life of Joseph. But in every journey, there are ups and downs. And Joseph, again, is about to face another challenge. Because being well-built and handsome does not give you a pass. And we'll explain why next week. Bow your heads with me. Father God, we are starting out this new series and we anticipate what you're going to do. Your hand is on everything. Father, we, are, we want to take this spiritual journey with passion. Help us to start writing even now, Lord, this morning. Help us to start writing a new chapter in your story for our lives and make it dynamic. Make that story dynamic. God, we want to change. God, we want to grow. We want to overcome. We want to be transformed. Over the next few weeks, Lord God, we pray that you would help us to take a giant step, giant steps in our spiritual journey with you. We want our lives, Lord God, to be woven into the fabric of your epic story for this world. I want my life to be woven into the fabric of your epic story for this world. I pray over every single person sitting here this morning, Lord God. I want their story to be woven into your epic story for this world. God, we ask that you would move in this church, that you would move in our lives, that we would be on this journey together so that we can impact the world around us. You are amazing, God. And you use us and we praise you for it. We thank you for it. We open up our hearts. We open up our minds. We open up our souls. We give you our strength, Lord God, and pray that you would use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.